doing? It looks really good to see so many. Like there were 12 of us here last night. So I'm excited. No, there are a few more than that. But I'm excited to see more people. Good for you. Um, how about that worship? Wasn't that just awesome? Ugh. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Hey, so Greg is on vacation uh, somewhere warm and sunny. And meanwhile, we're here like hoping the plows have reached our street so we can get to church this morning. So there's that. Who's the real Christian? I'm no, just kidding. Just kidding. All right, just kidding. Like Mary said, my name is Shauna, and um, I'm one of the associate pastors here at Woodland Hills. Hopefully, I'll still have a job after that. That comment. Just kidding. All right, so hey, we've been in this series now for two weeks. And at the end of this series, we're going to have a Q&A with Greg and Paul. And so we need your cues. We need your questions um, so they can answer them. And we would love for you to be sending those in as they come to you throughout the, the series. We have a text line that you can text in your questions to, and that's 651-321-3030. So, right? Yeah, 3030. So just text your questions, and then at the conclusion of the series, we'll have a Q&A, and we'll get to uh, your questions and have some answers for you. All right, like I said, we're in the second week of our series, and the series is entitled, Sure, Sure, Clarity in the Maze of Truth. And so we're doing this series because we recognize that when we're faced with the various worldviews and opinions in our society about spirituality and faith, many people will just say, sure, if that works for you, that's great. And many times, because we're trying to be tolerant and we're trying to understand one another, truth can get lost. But we know, and we learned last week, and we saw last week, and we're going to see again today, that Jesus said he is the only truth. So John 14, 6, you can read it up on the screen. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So throughout this series, we hope that we'll be trying to discover together how we can hold that conviction of truth in our culture of tolerance. And how can we navigate the maze of truth with humility and confidence? Because we don't want to be jerks, right? We want to be humble, and we want to be loving, and we want to um, have confidence in who it is that we're speaking about. Throughout this series, we'll be looking at how to live at peace in a culture of ambiguity and maintain a faith that we can be sure of. So Greg kicked us off last week and he dove into truth and today we get to look at faith and talk about what faith is and how our faith is so very important. So will you pray with me before we get started? Jesus, I am so thankful. I'm so thankful for you because you are so beautiful. Father, I thank you because your arms are open wide to us and we can come to you with anything and everything and you receive us into yourself. Jesus, I'm thankful because I know that you know each of us. You know every person in this room. And Father, you know what they need to hear today and you know how to speak just to them. So I invite you, Lord God, to do that today, God. Please speak to each person here. Reveal your heart for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you look up faith in a dictionary or if you Google faith, you'll see that it's defined as complete trust and confidence in someone or something. And there are absolutely multiple verses about faith that we can find in scripture. 
Uh, Hebrews 11.1 1 is one of those verses. It says that now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. This is what Jesus had to say about faith in Matthew 17. Jesus said, truly I tell you that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now I'm willing to bet that there are at least a few people in this room right now who know what it's like to have a mountain in their life they need to be moved. I'm willing to bet that there's at least one or two of us in this room who know what it feels like when you're needing something huge and big and godlike to happen in your life. And there are people here in this room, maybe even sitting next to you, who have strong faith. And they know that they can pray and they can believe God for his answers. They're, those are amazing people to be around, right? It's just almost contagious, this, this, this faith that they have in God that he's going to come through and he's going to provide. Oh, those people are amazing. But I also know that there are some other people who sometimes struggle with their faith. Sometimes struggle with the very idea of having faith. Some people may even be feeling as if their faith is falling apart. Maybe you feel like you've messed up one too many times. Or maybe you feel like you just can't get over whatever it is that keeps you bound. Maybe there's someone that hurt you previously and they're a believer. Maybe a past church, church experience has caused you to struggle with your faith. Maybe you've uh, been taught things before and they just don't make sense to you today in your world today. Maybe you feel like faith hasn't worked for you in the past. Like maybe you feel like you've given it a try and it didn't quite work out. And so you're just ready to go, I, I don't know, is this even real? Can I even do this? And if that's where you are, if any of those places are where you are, I just want to say to you that is okay. You don't have to push the panic button. All is not lost. God has not forsaken you. It is absolutely okay to be in that place. God is with you in that place. He sees where you are, and he is okay with where you are. He's going to get you through that. And hopefully, through what we'll be looking at today, you will see that your journey with your relationship with God can still stand on solid ground because we can be real with God. He loves that. And we can be raw and honest with God. He absolutely welcomes that. So why is it sometimes hard for us to believe? How, why is it sometimes hard for us to put that faith into action and just believe that God's going to come through? I think sometimes we struggle with our faith because for many people, we misunderstand what it is to have faith and what faith means. For many people, faith equals certainty. Certainty. To have faith... To walk in faith means that you're certain. To have faith means that you are free of doubt. To have faith means that you are free of struggle. To have faith is to be free of unanswered questions and to be free of uncertainty. And when you hold this model of faith as certainty, there is absolutely no room for doubt. And in fact, it seems as if faith and doubt can be enemies of one another. 
And then we can even look in scripture and we can seem to find, find passages that seem to support that line of thinking. Like there's a couple of verses in James that says, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Those who doubt should not think they will receive anything from the Lord. They are double-minded and unstable in all they do. So that seems to support that thought process of, in order to have faith, we must not have doubt. And let me just say, we don't have time to go into it, but that's not what that verse is saying, you guys. We have to read it in context. That's not what that verse is saying. In Matthew, Jesus is speaking, and he says, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Well, that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. So if we're certain, then the Bible says, whatever it is, it will happen for me. And if you pray hard enough, with enough faith, then God will answer your prayers. And since doubt is not an option, we don't want to doubt, we want to have faith, certainty has to cover everything. It has to cover all of our beliefs and all of our behaviors. And in an attempt to increase our faith, we begin to push doubt aside. So anytime we come across something in scripture that we don't understand and we want, we're like, what is this? No, we got to push that aside because we want to maintain our faith. Whenever we are struggling or stumbling with something, we have to try to push that aside and not be real and not let that be seen because we have to try to maintain our faith. So we attempt to increase our faith and we push our doubt aside and we push our questions aside and we begin to ignore those things. Several years ago, after I graduated high school, and before I went to college, I was a part of a biblical studies program. And you lived on this, on this campus, and a part of this program was uh, during the week, Monday through Friday, we would go to classes and learn scripture and, um, and different things about our faith and the Bible and God. And it was really neat and really a, a really cool thing. And then we each had work assignments. So there was a team that did, had kitchen duty, and there was a team that had you know, lawn and grounds, and there was a, an office team. And so we would go to classes, and then we would go to work. And then on the weekends, this, um, there were these camps and these retreats that would come in, and part of our schooling was we would serve as interns for these camps and these retreats. And this was a really neat uh, time in my life, and I learned a lot, but I also struggled a lot. Because when these camps and retreats came in, and, uh, what we would do is we, were, we would serve as the altar team for these camps and these retreats. And so the retreat could be like a marriage retreat, or it could be a women's retreat, or a men's retreat, or um, a kid's retreat, and there were even uh, retreats for kids from the inner city, or kids that were under-resourced, and so we're here at the altar, and you'd, uh, you're talking about like 18, 19, 20-year-olds, okay, working the altar, learning about their faith, and trying to grow closer to the Lord, and you'd have people come to the altar, and they would have these deep needs, like they were hurting. You know, sometimes it'd be a couple coming and saying, you know, their marriage is about to fall apart, and they're asking me, <laughs> asking us to pray that their marriage will survive. Or, you know, it's a little kid coming to the altar, um, feeling loved and feeling safe and feeling secure, but knowing that when they go home, they're not going to have that safety. They're not going to have that love. They may not even have enough to eat, and they want to know that God's going to take care of them. So 18, 19, and 20-year-olds were up here, and we were taking this super seriously, and we want to believe God for these situations. And sometimes it was hard. 
And so we would say to our instructors, what do you do like when, you're, you, when you have these people come to you and they desperately need to hear from the Lord and, and you, you pray and you're trying to have faith, but sometimes you do, you wonder, like, what is going to happen to the little boy when he goes back home? Or, oh my gosh, is this marriage going to be okay? Or, you know, is this relationship going to make it? I mean, it, would, it could really weigh on you because we were empathizing with the people we were praying with. And our instructors, well, me, they just said, you know what, you got to fake it till you make it. You gotta fake it till you make it. You can't let doubt seep in. You can't show a lack of confidence. These people are counting on you, so you fake it till you make it, and eventually God will give you whatever it is you're faking. Okay. I mean, <laughs> that didn't sit well with me. I just, I couldn't, it didn't sit well with me, you guys. I mean, yes, I was young and, and, and I was young in my faith, but that just didn't sit well with me because then you begin to think, man, how much faith is enough? Like, cause it's too much. There's too much at stake to not be sure. Like how much faith do I need to ensure that all the things I'm praying for are gonna happen when these people leave the altar, right? How much doubt um, will disqualify me? Like if I have a little bit of doubt, does that mean that this couple isn't gonna make it? If I have a little bit more doubt, does that mean that this little boy is gonna uh, have a horrible situation to go home to? Like there is just too much at stake and it's too risky to have these things go unanswered. And then you get in this vicious, even dangerous cycle where you have to ensure that your certainty remains at a peak level. It can't fall. It has to stay high because it's too risky to have doubt and to not be certain. If one thing gets questioned, it could all come tumbling down. So you have to keep your faith and your certainty at a peak level. Greg has talked about this kind of thing before, and he refers to it as a house of cards. And he told us last week about how as a fairly new believer, and he went to the U, and he was ready to evangelize the students at the U, and he was ready to evangelize his professors at the U, and it took one professor to ask him questions that, he couldn't, that Greg couldn't quite answer, and his faith came tumbling down. And that happens you guys, we know Greg overcame that because he's here with us today and we learn from him all the time, but man, what a devastating experience. Another way we can think about it is Jenga. Do we have any Jenga players out there? Y'all know what Jenga is? I'm a pro, just saying. <laughs> we can do a tournament. So just think of Jenga, you're building your tower of certainty, right? You're building your blocks, your tower of certainty. So what happens when that certainty is challenged? What happens when you read something in scripture, you read something in, a, in the Bible, you read a story and it doesn't quite make sense? Pulling a Jenga log out. What happens when you're following what scripture says, you're doing everything you've been taught and told to do, but you still don't experience the expected outcome? Pull another jingle log out. What happens when you're praying and you're believing and you still lose your job? Pull another log out. What happens when you're giving and you're giving and you're sacrificially giving and you still have financial struggles. It's like pulling another log out. What happens when you're praying and believing for health and healing in your body, but you still feel that pain? It's like pulling another log out. What happens when someone questions why you believe what you believe and you don't have the exact perfect answer? It's like pulling another log out, and before too long, you pull enough of those little suckers out, the tower comes tumbling down. 
So whether you resonate with the House of Cards or with Jenga Tower, too many questions, too many things go unanswered, and they come tumbling down. And that's because neither of those are built on a firm foundation. Neither of those have a center. Several years ago, there was a popular devotional book, and I wanted to get it and read it because it was a bestseller, and people seemed to be really blessed by it. And I'm all about you know, growing in my faith, and I'm all about getting closer to Jesus. I recognize how amazing he is and how amazing he's been in my life. But I also recognize that I've not arrived, and I'm always looking to grow and learn. And so this book, this devotional book, was super popular. It was a bestseller, so I went and bought it. And I went to Staples and I got my highlighters and I got a new journal and I was ready to go. I was going to dig in and get deep. So I sat down in my place with me and God. I did some worship and I just was feeling his presence. And then I got ready to really dig in. And I opened that devotional and I started reading on page one. And on page one, about halfway down, I remember it very clearly, I read something and it was like someone just punched me in the gut, took my breath away. Because what I read just seemed to be a bit unbelievable. What I read didn't seem like the God that I knew. What I read, and this may not bother you, but at this time in my life, it very much bothered me. It was like someone punched me in my gut. What I read was that God had ordained everything in my life. What I read was that he had orchestrated it and ordained it. And so, of course, I began to think about my life. And I began to think about the ugly parts of my life. I began to think about those parts that I would not want anyone to go through. And I sat there, exasperated. And I was like, wait, God, so that, you caused that? Like, you caused that? You were okay with that? And that, you're good with that? And right then and there, I just began to weep. I began to cry because I couldn't reconcile the God that I loved, that I knew loved me with what I was reading. And in that moment, I very likely could have just said, forget it. Like, if that's what you're about, God, no, thank you. I'll go about my own business. But I didn't, and I'm thankful that I didn't because this is what I did, you guys. I sat there in that space in my confusion and in my wondering, and I just began to listen to the voice of Jesus, and I began to listen to what he was saying to my heart, and I began to hear him say to me, nope, Shauna, I was there with you in that. I didn't want that for you. I was there with you. And that over there, I absolutely was with you in that. Man, that was awful. That sucked. But I was with you. Didn't want that for you. I had no need for that in your life. I was there with you. And I chose to believe in God's character in that moment. I chose to believe in the goodness and the faithfulness and the love of God in that moment, in in Jesus and what he has done for us and what he did for me. I chose to believe in that. And then I got violent toward the book and I threw it across the room and I never looked at it again. I mean, that's just how I had to deal with it. I began to focus on God's character. I began to remember who he is and who he says I am. And I did not let that, what I read, cause my faith to fall apart. I wasn't going to turn my back on him because I knew he would never turn his back on me. And so that's what I'm inviting us all to do today. I'm inviting us to look at faith a little differently. 
Instead of working incessantly and running ourselves ragged to keep our certainty at a peak level and never questioning and never doubting and never making a mistake, I'm asking us to just throw that aside for a moment and let's look at faith in a biblical way. Let's look at a biblical model of faith because biblical faith is covenantal in nature. Biblical faith is about trusting and being trustworthy. It's about a way of life. And when you enter into covenant, you guys, it changes absolutely everything. It affects everything. Your actions are impacted because this is about a relationship. The almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, wants a relationship with you and with me. He wants to get down and dirty in the deep mess of our lives. He wants to get in on the everyday, the day-to-day. He wants to be all involved. He wants to be intimately involved in our life. That's the faith that we're talking about. Faith as certainty is the opposite of relationship. It's the opposite of that. Faith as certainty is actually, it's more like a contract than it is a covenant. It's more contractual than relational. It says, if I do this, then God has to do that. So I'm gonna do this so that God has to do that. If I fulfill my part, then God has to fulfill his part. So we do all the things right, we read all the right things, we pray all the right things, and we say all the right things. So that ensures that God's gonna do what God's supposed to do. And that's not the way relationships work. That's not the way God sees you. That's not the way he sees me. And that's not the way he wants to relate to us. That's not the way covenant works. Now, the best example we have of covenant, the best way to explain that is the marriage relationship. And in scripture, we, the church, are often referred to as the body of Christ. And I know not every marriage is perfect, but, but this is, I mean, this is what the picture of being in a relationship with God is supposed to look like, the marriage relationship to be in that covenant. Now, several weeks ago, uh, we celebrated Valentine's Day. That was lovely, wonderful for those of you that um, like that holiday, that day. Um, one of my sons wore black, like all black to school that day, like in protest of Valentine's Day and all the little, you know, love grams that were going to get passed out. So anyway, a little dramatic, I know. Wonder where he gets that. (laughs) But a date that's more important to me than February 14th is February 15th. 20 years ago, on February 15th, this man walked into my life. (laughs) Isn't he cute? (laughs) Oh, we look like babies. 20 years ago, you guys, this man walked into my life, and I'm telling you, it was a game changer. Everything in my life changed. Everything in my life changed. And as we got to know one another, and we built a friendship, and then we, we began dating, and then we got engaged, and then we got married, you know what? I began to, throughout that process, trust Scott, and trust his character, and trust his intentions. And at the same time, he was getting to know me, and he was learning he could trust me, and trust my character, and trust my intentions. And when we entered into marriage together, we began to relate to one another out of a place of love. We didn't say, okay, Scott, you take your legal pad and you write down all the the rules that you want me to follow, and I'm going to take my legal pad and I'm going to write down all the rules I want you to follow, and then we're going to get them notarized, and then that's going to be it, all right? (laughs) We're going to have a good life together. That's not the way it works. 
No, we live because we love one another and we live out of that love for one another. We give to one another and we sacrifice to one another. We're a team together. We believe in each other. And you guys, that is what it means to be in covenant. And that is what God invites us to. Covenants, a mutual relationship, mutually beneficial where there's trust and there's love and you can count on one another and you choose one another every day. And guess what? I'm married every day of the week. Like, I don't take breaks from being married. It's an everyday thing. It'd be a little strange if I said, oh, no, no, this is my single day. Absolutely not. It's not the way that works. I'm married every day. And so when we're in that covenant with God, it's an everyday thing. It's in the good days, and it's in the bad days. And it's in the high days, and it's in the low days. Because we are together in this relationship, and it's beautiful. It is beautiful. Another way we can look at this is like if you're thinking about faith as certainty, you doing all your things and making sure your certainty stays at a peak level so that God will do his part, that's really more of a contract. And I want to show us a difference between contract and covenant because Jesus wants covenant with us. He doesn't need a contract from us. A contract is a legal deal between two parties, but a covenant is a commitment involving the life of both parties. A commitment involving the entire life of both parties. A contract is where you're looking to acquire something from someone, but in a covenant, you're looking to be in relationship with someone. A contract, you're protecting your own self-interest against the other party. But in a covenant, you're protecting the integrity of the relationship that binds the two parties together. A contract, your trust is in the legal force of the contract and it presumes mistrust of the other party's character. So you have to have this deal, right? You have to have it in writing. But in a covenant, the trust is in the integrity of the other party because you trust them and you presume that their character is trustworthy. God is not interested in writing up a dual contract between you and I, you and him, one another. No, he's interested in covenants. That's what he wants. He wants that relationship. So instead, instead, you guys, of running in circles, trying to make sure that we keep that certainty at this high peak level, instead of holding everything, all of our beliefs and all our behaviors as equal, because if we let any of them slip, that means we're losing out with God. I think it's more helpful if we look at it this way. We can look at this as a, this diagram. We look at this and we know that at the very center, at the very core, the very foundation is Jesus Christ crucified. That's what matters. All we need to know about God and the lengths his love will go to for us can be found in the character of Jesus Christ when he sacrificed himself for us. That's it right there. That's the cornerstone. Our deepest longings and our hungers are meant to drive us to the one only source of true life whose self-sacrificial character was fully disclosed on the cross. That is our center. That is our cornerstone. That is our foundation. We go out from that as one little sphere and we find dogma. Dogma are those foundational creeds that the church as a whole has agreed to. So things like God is a trinity, Christ is fully God and fully human, the world is created and governed by God. And then you step out another sphere and you have doctrine. 
And this is just different ways that different denominations interpret the dogma. This is the how of the foundational creeds. So things like the atonement debate or eternal security, once saved, always saved. Things like how you do communion or, or your a denomination's view on baptism or a denomination's take on the charismatic gifts. Those things are doctrine, okay? And then that final sphere is opinion. And opinions are good. Opinions can be super helpful. Um, a, a good example of this is when Greg released the book, uh, what was it called? Oh, yes, Crucifixion of the Warrior God. It's a big book, you guys, but it was really helpful for many people, and it changed many people's lives because in this book, he looked at uh, those Old Testament scriptures that we wonder about, you know, about God's beauty and God's character and how that's reflected in those Old Testament scriptures, and he kind of reframed that for a lot of people, and it was super helpful. But that's just an opinion. It's not a doctrine. It's not a dogma. It's an opinion. And the proximity of each of these spheres or circles to the center, right, the cornerstone, Christ crucified, reflects its relative importance. So we can see that not everything is equally important, and this model is helpful. If we can think of faith this way, it's helpful because it gives us space, it creates space for us to think and to discover and to grow. It allows us to, to have questions and to wonder and to ponder and maybe even sometimes doubt some things because we don't have to be super clear and super set in all the opinions. We don't have to have all the doctrines lined up just right. Um, we can even have questions about the doctrine, but we know that Christ crucified is that foundation and that is that center. So we don't have to get caught up in disputes on those minor issues. We can even, um, it helps us to even engage people in a more loving way. Like how many of you guys have been in situations whether it be like at a family outing or, you know, a, a bunch of friends and it's kind of like, okay, we're not going to talk about this. <laughs> we're not going to talk about this. Don't bring this up because then it all just kind of blows up. You know what? Now, if we're not holding all those things as equal, we can engage those conversations a bit more lovingly and not feel like we have to get all riled up and prove our point. Most importantly, most importantly, all of our beliefs and all of our behaviors can be discussed from inside the faith, like from inside that beautiful covenantal relationship that God wants to have with us. All of our beliefs and all of our behaviors are formed inside of that. And so we can take our questions and we can take our doubts and we can take our confusion and in that covenantal relationship, we can just say, hey, what about this, God? And he sits with us in that. We don't have to get all those things straight and lined up before we come to him. No, we come to him first. We come to him because he comes to us and he chooses us and he calls us and he wants us and he loves us. So we do that first. And then from that covenantal, trustworthy relationship, we work out all the other things. Scott and I, who've been married for nearly 20 years, I said that earlier, and we have four amazing kids, and one of my sons is um, at that place, and it's really cool to watch where he's really like walking out his faith on his own, and he's even like, you know, taking that into school and, and just seeing how that works, but he's also encountered some friends of his at school who um, have some very specific thoughts about what it means to be a believer, and they have some very specific thoughts about certain um, behaviors, and if you do this, 
this, well, then you're going to hell. And if you do that, well, then you're certainly going to hell. And my son is like, hold the phone. Like, he's like, listen, I love God, and I know I'm not perfect, and I know God loves me, and I'm just trying to be a Jesus follower, and I'm just trying to live in love with him and let him show me how I'm supposed to live this life, right? He's not interested in kind of determining, oh, that behavior means hell. Oh, yeah, that behavior, yeah, you're going on the fast track to hell for sure. Um, oh, you, you get to go to heaven. Like, that is not our job. Like, who? Ugh, that's gross. That's not our job. I mean, you guys, we can be confident in Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross and let everything else sort itself out. But it's not our job to determine beliefs and behaviors of others and what it means for their walk with God. And you, like, my kid knows that. Hopefully the rest of us can know that too. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians. He said, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Christ crucified is the center of every aspect of our faith. Christ crucified is the center that grounds us in our faith. It is the center by which we interpret scripture and our theology. It's the center that meets every core need in our life. It's all that we need to know to feel secure in who God says that we are and what he feels about us. It's all that we need to know our identity and our place in this world. We are one that Christ felt worthy enough to die and sacrifice himself for. It is the center of all that we trust God for. And hear me on this, you guys. This is so important to know. When I say Christ crucified is the center, that's the only thing we need not doubt. It's because he is such an amazingly beautiful God that will go to any length to get you to come to him, to save us from the things in the world that weigh us down. He will do anything and he will pay any price and he proved that on the cross. Doubt and certainty, they're not the enemy, you guys. It is okay to have doubt. It is okay to have questions. It is okay to get angry and say, what in the world was that, God? Like, what is this about? What is going on? It is, he can handle it. He's not afraid. Like, you can raise your voice. He's not scared. He's not gonna go, like, scurrying off into the corner. He's not gonna hold you at arm's length and say, how dare you question me? Absolutely not. He welcomes his children to come to him, and he will sit there in that space with us while we say, wait, what is this? Or, why did that happen? Or what's going on with that? He absolutely can handle it. He welcomes it. He's okay with it because he wants to relate to us and he wants to love us and he wants to help us through those questions. He wants to help us through those doubts. He wants to help us out of those ugly things that we don't understand. We just need to trust him because he is so trustworthy. He is so trustworthy. He can handle anything we throw at him. We don't have to be afraid to struggle with questions. We don't have to be afraid to struggle with why because we know, we know that when we wrestle with God, it's important that we're not, we're not doubting his character. We're not doubting who he is. We're not doubting um, what he's done for us. He is the center. He is the cornerstone. It's the most important thing. 
We have to remember who we're talking about here, you guys. We're, this isn't someone who has shown himself not to be trustworthy. This isn't someone who showed himself to be faithless toward us. No, the very opposite. Time and time and time again, God has come after us because he loves us. Oh, the sacrificial love of Jesus is something that we can never get away from. It means everything. A few weeks ago at our Ash Wednesday service, our youth ministry, it's called Echo, they were leading the worship for that night, and it was really beautiful. And they, they sang this one song toward the end that just uh, penetrated my heart. And Lauren was leading, Lauren was up here earlier, and she was leading, and that song penetrated my heart, and I just could not get enough of it. So I immediately afterwards, I like went to YouTube to find like the lyric video and to, and to see it live, and then I went into iTunes, and I legally downloaded the song, because that's, <laughs> gotta do it right, y'all. I legally, and I just been listening to it and listening to it, because it just penetrated my heart, because it gives you the perfect, it gave me, and I think it'll give you the perfect picture of what we're talking about here when, we, when we're saying Christ crucified is the center, is the cornerstone of everything. We're talking about God's character fully revealed by his self-sacrifice for us. It is a beautiful picture to remind us just who we're putting our trust and our faith in because he is so very trustworthy. And those lyrics go like this. It goes, um, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It will chase you down fight till you're found he'll leave the 99 to come after you and I didn't earn it and you didn't earn it and we don't deserve it and still he just gives himself away to us because of his overwhelming never-ending reckless love for us and then and then it goes further and it says there's no shadow he won't light up no shadow there's no darkness that can keep his light from you there's no mountain he won't climb up coming after you. There's no wall he won't kick down and there's no lie he won't tear down coming after you. That is who we're talking about. That is who we're in relationship with. The overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God. There's nothing. You can feel isolated and alone and like no one sees you or knows you or cares and build this wall around you and God will kick that wall down coming after you. You can believe lies about yourself because of certain things in your life and certain things that have happened and certain things people have said and God will tear down those lies coming after you because he loves you that much and this is a love that is trustworthy. We can trust it, we can abide in it, we can live in it and let it filter through and affect everything we do. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, you guys. I'm going to have the prayer team come forward. And if you have something that you need prayer for, come to these guys. Let them stand with you. Remember, we're in this covenantal relationship with God, and he desires to be with us, to meet with us. He's with us when things are going well, and he's with us when things aren't going so well. So allow him in, and don't, don't be tempted to shun him away. Don't be afraid to take to him your questions, your doubts, your wonderings, because he can handle it. He loves you. He wants it, and he wants to transform us and make us whole again. Amen. Amen. You guys are awesome. Have a great day. Please make sure you come up here and get prayer.